Burger King started an ad campaign that was focused on the theme, have it your way. Anybody remember that? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders. The idea was that all the other burger places, when you went in, you ordered your hamburger, and it was already made up ahead of time, and you got it the way they made it. But Burger King, you walk in, and they'll make it your way. And there's nothing wrong with that when it comes to hamburgers. But having your way is probably not the best way when it comes to your life. And there's a lot of people in our society today that have adapted that mindset of, I want it my way, to everything in their life. In other words, this is the way I want to live my life. I don't care what you think. I don't care what anybody thinks, including God. I'm just going to live it my way, and whatever happens, happens. And one of the many problems, and I mean many problems, is that often the ways of God are not the ways of, of us. Burger King didn't create this mindset. They didn't start the problem. In fact, we're studying in Isaiah, and I'm pretty sure there weren't any Burger Kings back then, and Isaiah addressed that problem back then, that the way of these people, the people of Judah, the way they were thinking just wasn't the way that God wanted them to think. And because of that, they were going to suffer a lot of trials and a lot of problems before the blessings of God would come back to them. Going back to just a little bit of review so we know where we are, as we've studied the last couple of weeks, we know that Isaiah told them, that a time would come when they would be taken captive, the people of Judah, Jerusalem being the capital, they'd be taken captive, and they would be taken into slavery into Babylon. <clears throat> At the time that he wrote, the chances of these things happening really weren't realistic with the people. First of all, Babylon wasn't a big empire. The Assyrians were the big dog in the military, and they were the ones who were going around conquering everybody. So for him, for him to say that the Babylonians would come in didn't make sense. But then he also, he also named a king by name that after they were taken to captivity, that would release them to come back. Now, the mindset of, of most of us, I know with me as I was studying this, it seems like in our mind, the easy way is, why don't you just leave us here and not take us? And then we don't have to come back. You know, it doesn't make sense the way we think, but in God's thinking, there was a reason for that. There was a reason that there had to be taken into captivity. There were things that God had to accomplish, and they could only be accomplished while they were in Babylon. And only when they were released from Babylon to come back would they really be thankful for what God was doing. Over a, a time period, probably 150 years or so, maybe 200, through a series of events, the Babylonians, who were nobody at the time of the writing, conquered the Assyrians. And then Nebuchadnezzar became the king of the Babylonians. And sure enough, just like Isaiah had said about 150 years before, he came in and he conquered Judah, took the people slaves, and took them back to Babylon. But life was not all that bad as a slave. Nebuchadnezzar was, he was kind of cool. He was lenient with the people. He let them buy property. He let them operate businesses. So it really wasn't like in slavery other than the fact that they just couldn't leave. Once they were inside there, they could do pretty much anything. They had homes. They had possessions. They conducted daily business. And life was pretty good. And some of them, like Daniel that we read about, 
uh, was actually close to the king. He was a friend of the king, and, and the king consulted him for different things. So things were not all that bad. We think sometimes of captivity as they were all in prison, and that really wasn't the case. And then this guy named Cyrus came along. This is the guy that, that Isaiah named by name. And things were pretty good. And Cyrus kind of threw a, a monkey wrench in the whole process. He said, I'm going to let you all go back to Judah. Well, we're kind of happy here. Someone had pointed out to Cyrus, maybe Daniel, that Isaiah had written a long time ago that when he became king that he would release the people. And the writing said that he would release them to go rebuild their temple. And you know what? Just as he wrote, Cyrus said, I think I'll do that. But Isaiah didn't leave at that in the writing. He also wrote about an attitude that would follow. Once the people were released to go back home, there was this mindset of, well, we're here now, why don't we just stay? Things aren't that bad. We can live here. Yeah, I know that's home. But, you know, we were taken away from there, and now, you know, we've got a house and we've got a business, so we'll just stay here in captivity. There was also people that had been born in Babylon that never knew Jerusalem. They never knew the country of Judah. And for them, this was home. But Isaiah prophesied that by returning to Judah and thus returning to God, that it would prove more spiritually satisfying than staying in Babylon. And while this prophecy had obvious meaning for the Jews, it has meanings for us today too. And that's what I want us to look at as we read Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 3. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Got to get used to this mic. The setting that Isaiah was trying to convey as he talked about in these two scriptures was that of a person in that day that was very important in the, in the business world. He was a water vendor. Remember, these people lived pretty much in the desert. So there were people that would come through town, and they would have water, and they would yell out that they had water, come and, and take buy the water that I have, and you can be refreshed. It's kind of like going to a, a football game or a baseball game where you've got the guy that walks around, water, water. Actually, he's not saying water. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, there you go, popcorn. So the guy was walking through the street, and Isaiah's trying to bring this picture to their mind that here is this guy that is offering something that's refreshing. But he wasn't writing about just physical refreshment rather of a spiritual nourishment. He said not only that there was water, he said that there was milk, and he said there was wine. You go, well, so what? It's just something else to drink. No, see, the milk represented nourishment. It, it was something for growth. It was something for strength. And Isaiah is saying, you're here in slavery, and you, you need to go somewhere where you can be fed. You need to go somewhere where you can be nourished. You're in captivity now, and you're not getting what you need from God. And then wine, it designated and signified the celebration and the joy. Because if you're in slavery, it's hard to have true joy. 
And it wasn't just about refreshment. It was also about repentance and about reformation. And that call was for us today. In the New Testament, Jesus offered what he called living water that satisfied spiritual needs. In fact, Jesus said to a Samaritan woman in John 4 and 14, he said, whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He went on to say in, ch in chapter 7 and verse 14, he said, not until halfway through the... F That's not right. That's not right. Let's find the scripture. We'll go on and come back to that. Jesus saw the water that he was talking about in the way that Isaiah spoke of the water. He knew that when people came to him, the water that he offered them was the only thing that would be able to really meet the needs of what the human soul is missing. He is the only one that can satisfy what we are really looking for. This society we live in spends billions and billions of dollars every year looking for something to satisfy what's missing in their life. And it's hard for us to understand how something as simple as coming to Christ and giving him our life can satisfy. Amen. It seems like it's easier to go out and seek after something that we don't have because we can just go and get something to drink. We can go take something. Uh, there's all kinds, again, the industry for entertainment is billions of dollars. And what people don't realize is the only thing that will really satisfy and fill that longing is free. And in our mind, it doesn't make sense that the one thing that works is free when everything else costs so much money. We are invited to acknowledge our need and accept what God has for us. And the, the, again, the, the most phenomenal part of this is that it's already paid for. Look what Isaiah wrote in verse 1. He said, come and buy without money and without cost. Again, that doesn't make sense to us either. Because how can you go buy something without money and cost? For us today, the, the salvation that is offered to every one of us, Brother Ashley, John 7.37. Thank you. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Exactly. Jesus liked this analogy because it made sense to him that, again, these people lived in the desert. They understood what being thirsty was. They didn't have running water in the house. They had to go to the well to get water. So to them, water was something that people sought after. So we come to us today, and we find that there are things that are missing that are free to us, and the only thing that it really cost us is parting with the things that come between us and Christ. Other than that, it's paid for. The Jews had to leave Babylon behind. See, there was a certain cost to them. Even though going back was free, they did have to give up what they had there. 
And with salvation today, there, you can't buy salvation. But in order to take the free gift, you have to leave behind what you have. If you go back to the story of, of Ruth, it's a great example of leaving things behind to go get something that God has that's much better. And again, it doesn't really make sense to us often that the greatest thing in life is free. For some of the Jews in Babylon, and I'm sure for many of them, they were good people. Maybe they even kept the law to the best of their ability. But the best of the, the best of the best were still in captivity. They still didn't have freedom. You could have obeyed every law, you could have obeyed every rule, but you were still in captivity. And God ultimately wanted each and every one of them to be free. And your life today, maybe you live your life and you say, well, I haven't killed anybody this week. I haven't robbed a bank this week. And so I'm, I'm probably still okay. No. If you haven't accepted Christ, if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, then you are still in bondage. You're still in slavery. Well, I don't feel like I'm in slavery. Most of those people in Babylon didn't feel like they were in slavery either. Remember, they had homes. They had businesses. They could kind of come and go and go visit the neighbors. They weren't in prison. They felt free, but they were still in bondage. And God had something for them. And Isaiah is writing about this 150 years before it would ever take place, that you're going to be taken into captivity, and you're going to be satisfied, and you're going to be content, but I'm going to have somebody be able to release you and send you back to where you can actually be free, and you're going to say, I don't want to go. That's where many of us stand today. Maybe you're living a good life. Maybe you're not committing any horrible sins. But if you have not accepted the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross, then you are still in bondage. And God is calling you to something better. Isaiah ended verse 3 with a statement of assurance. His intention was that God would form a covenant with them the way that he had talked to David. That, and he had told David that he had a dynasty that would be the greatest dynasty. It would never end, and it would culminate in the Messiah. And we know that it, that's exactly what happened. Jesus was a descendant of David. Just as the Jews were offered something far better than Babylon, we are promised something far greater than all we could accumulate on earth. And it's not just all about heaven. Yes, heaven is a great, important part of that. But it's also what we have down here on earth. Think of, Ruthie and I went the other night down to, we were waiting to go pick up Christopher and Amanda, and we went down to Ybor City on a Friday night. Interesting place. And about 10 o'clock, between 10 and 11, the place just fills up. And it's lines and lines of people waiting to get into clubs. And as I sat there, we just sat there and kind of watched. As I sat there and watched, I thought, for many of these people, this is the highlight of their week. This is what they look forward to, to working all week long, getting dressed up on Friday night, going to Ebor, and waiting in line to go into a club so they can go in there and dance and party and whatever. Why? Because they're looking for something. 
They know that there's something out there, and they will go often from club to club to club looking for that one thing that will fill what's missing inside. And what they don't realize, and, and the good thing is there was actually people down there witnessing. Interesting. But the thing is this. The next day, when you wake up, what do you have? Not only do you not have anything that lasted, you probably have a headache. Or worse. And what that does is make you want to go back again because you didn't find what you were looking for. Again, the milk and the wine that Isaiah wrote about were things for us. The water, when, as we live our life here, again, it's not just about going to heaven. As we live our life here, we can have refreshment. As we live our life here, that milk is something that gives us nourishment. It gives us strength so that we can, we can face another day regardless of what's going on. And there's that, that wine that signifies that we can have joy. Because going and, and doing something that you think will make you happy is not joy. External happiness is not joy. If you sat down and talked to many of the people about 1 o'clock in the morning and just ask them, are you really happy? Probably very few of them would say, yeah. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Verses 1 and 3 are kind of repeated here, but in a way that has a greater urgency. As sinners, we are implored to, implored, implored to seek the Lord while he may be found. And the word seek is not just limited to the way we look at it as sacrifice or, or prayer or even a combination of the two. This, the word seek, the basic meaning, is to tread, implying the action of, of stepping towards, that we need to, to look to God and we need to actually step toward him. Not just say, I'm looking for you out here somewhere, but actually turn and go towards him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. He said, well, what's the big deal about while he may be found? We are to move in the direction of God when he calls us. Not that God's going to go somewhere else and we'll miss him. He doesn't do that. The truth is we have no guarantee of tomorrow. How many people have said, leave me alone. I want to live my life like I'm living it now. And when I get older... Then I'll turn to God. And they never had the opportunity. And not to sound like doom and gloom, but it's not just that our life might come to an end. There's also a chance that later we might be in a place in our life that we are unable to sense God's call. We might not even hear him when he calls. Maybe we're not psychologically ready at that point, and we don't even hear the call and we miss out. Another scenario is that in the meantime, while we're waiting, 
that Christ could come back and the opportunity is gone. And if none of that were true, here's another fact. Every moment we spend in sin is wasted time that we could be enjoying a relationship with God. Isaiah referred to the wicked and evil man. And he wasn't referring to two different types of individuals. He was talking about two different sides of people, a a person's ways and a person's thoughts. And he said that we needed to turn completely to God for forgiveness. And those that do it, he will freely pardon. It's not a, we, we get the whole salvation thing so complicated sometimes that we make it into some great dramatic act that has to happen. No, it's really simple. You come and you say, Lord, I'm tired of living like I'm living. I can't do this anymore. I I not only want you to forgive me, I want you to help me turn around and go the other direction. And for us, that doesn't really sound like it makes sense. But the promise is that he'll do it. And then not only that, he doesn't just leave us at that point. He's promised that at that point he fills us with his spirit and he's there to lead us and guide us into this new way. That's the living water that Jesus talked about. Really, the only qualification is that you have to be thirsty. That's really the only qualification for receiving salvation is that you have to want it. And you have to accept it. There are so many people that that think there's something that they can do in their life to earn it. They think that there's something that they have to do first, and mainly because they've been told that, that, well, you go do this, this, and this, and then God will save you. Let me tell you something. All you have to do for God to save you is to repent of your sins and change your direction, and God has promised that he will save you. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. And this is where it comes down to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and the bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I am so glad that God's thoughts are not my thoughts. I'm glad that my ways are not his ways. Because if they were, as you drove to church this morning, you would have probably seen a lot of empty cars on the side of the road with the driver having been zapped by a bolt of lightning. But God doesn't do it that way. But it goes much deeper than that. Warren Wiersbe said this, We make God after our own image and conclude that he acts and thinks like we do. And we are wrong. And when you stop and think about it, that's exactly what we do. We say, since we can't think like God thinks, then we're going to lower him to thinking like we think. And we reduce him to our understanding, and it doesn't work. Verse 9 says that the distance 
the difference in our understanding and God's is as high as the heavens are above the earth. How high does the sky go from the earth? Well, we can't measure it. Which means the difference between our understanding and God's is immeasurable. Look at the message of the gospel. That's just one of the many examples that God's ways differ from ours. If it were up to us and we had to choose, because that's the way we're, we're programmed, if we had to come up with a way of salvation, it would be something that you have to physically go do in order to earn it. It's just the way we think. We say, well, you know, I, this is my salvation. I'm not going to give it to you for nothing. Uh, walk around the building about four times. Carry this sign. And that's not the way it works. The Bible speaks that salvation is for whosoever will. For God so loved the world that whoever. That's who is eligible for salvation. What is the qualification for salvation? Go back to Isaiah 55 and verse 1. It says, come all you who are thirsty. In other words, Isaiah was writing to the people of Judah, and he's saying, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be in captivity, and you're going to be satisfied. But let me tell you this. If you want something more, it's going to be offered to you, and all you have to do is just go back and take it. We thirst, we receive. Probably not the plan we'd come up with. And verse 10 talks about how the rain comes down and the snow comes down, and it's part of this cycle of nature that in the food, the food producing process. But the emphasis is not on the cycle. The emphasis is on the rain and the snow coming down and completing the intention for which it came down. It wasn't just about, well, there's this plan and there's this program. No, it says that the rain comes down and it waters the plants and it comes up and people are fed. In other words, if I, God's saying, if I intended for this rain to come down and do something, it will do just that. And in our lives today, God's word is guaranteed effective for its intended purpose in our life. If the word of God says something, you don't have to wonder, I wonder if that means me. No. If it says it here, I guarantee you, it is for you. Its intention was for you. God knew when you read that scripture that you would read it before you ever were able to read. So to answer your question, yeah, it's for you. It will accomplish what it was intended to accomplish. The word that goes out is, please don't get this wrong, it's not magical. Okay, It's not this magic word that goes out. It possesses no power on its own. But because it belongs to God, it always fulfills its purpose. If it's God's word and it says it, it will happen. And Isaiah was trying to clarify this to the people. You might not like what I'm saying, but you're going to be taken captive. When they got taken captive, they go back and read and go, well, he was right on that. But then they read further and they say, well, now you're going to have an opportunity to go back home. Well, I just got this letter. Cyrus said we can go back home. He was right on that. Then he says, it also says we're not going to be real happy about going back home. And you know what? 
He's right. I'd like to just stay here. But the thing he's saying is there's this process that there had to be for them to be taken captive, live in captivity, so that when they were free and they got back, they would realize, hey, I'm free. I'm not in slavery anymore. Yeah, it was okay back then, but I was still a slave. Regardless how good things got, I was always going to be a slave. Now I'm back here. This is my country. This is my capital. This is my temple, and I can worship my God. And regardless how good you think your life might be, if Christ is not in it, you are still in captivity. But God's word is not just guaranteed for salvation. I believe it covers all aspects of our life. If it says it, it will happen because it is true. And I'm not trying to get onto this, this whole prosperity thing of you want a new Rolls Royce so you just think it real hard in your mind and believe it and when you walk out the parking lot it would be parked there. I'm not saying that. Because the Bible doesn't specifically say anywhere that that will happen. It does say that God will take care of your needs. That he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory does say that. It doesn't guarantee that you will become wealthy. I don't care how much money you put in the offering plate. There's no guarantee that you will become wealthy. But he does promise that he'll always take care of us. He does promise that he will always supply our needs. He does promise that when we are gone from this earth, that there is something way beyond what we could ever imagine here on this earth. You say, well, I just don't think I like that. I'm sorry. It doesn't change it. Remember, in order for these people to receive the ultimate blessing that God had for them, in order for them to see the temple rebuilt and for them to see the city rebuilt and for them to see the walls of Jerusalem put back up, you know what had to happen? They had to be torn down. In order to be set free, they were in captivity first. Right now as a country... We are facing a lot of difficult situations. Often when we get into these situations, we, we get upset with God. And usually it's because he doesn't fix it the way we think he should. God, I know you've, you've been around for a long time, but, you know, I think you just got this one wrong. I am, um, if you would just do this things would work out a whole lot better. And that's why the reason we say that is because we don't understand. God's ways are not our ways. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God does. That's one of the biggest differences in us and God is that he knows exactly what's going to happen next week and we're lucky if we know what's going on today. Look at it this way. Anybody remember the game show, Let's Make a Deal? I used to watch that show all the time. On that show, there was a time, many times, when a person could choose behind what's behind number door, door number one, door number two, or door number three. And sometimes they already had a prize. They'd already made a lot of choices, and they had this prize, and they said, Ooh, Monty, I don't know. Do I want to keep this, or do I want what's behind what? door number one, door number two, or door number three? And behind door number one, there might be a brand new car. Behind door number two, there might be a vacation in some exotic place. And then behind door number three, there's a monkey with a box of cookies. 
if you knew someone who knew exactly what was behind door number one, two, and three, and they came to you and said, look, I got some inside information here. I know where the monkey is. Which one do you want? I want the car. The car's behind door number two. And we say, nah, go away. I'm going to take my chances. But I know where it is. I know what's going to happen regardless which one you choose. I know what's going to happen. Please, just listen to me. No, I just want to take my chances. And he pleads and says, no, listen to me. I know what's going to happen. No, go away. And sadly, in our lives, that's exactly what we do. Rather than trust in God, who knows what's behind door number one, two, and three, and what's behind tomorrow, and the next day and next week, we choose what, and we go the way we want to do it, and we, we pick the monkey with the box of cookies, and then we go, I don't even like monkeys. Why'd I do that? God, what are you doing? When all we had to do was just listen to what he said. We have an opportunity to put our lives in the one that knows tomorrow. And so many times we just say, no, 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 I'm okay. I can do this. And since we don't understand, or often since we just flat out don't believe it, we do it our way. It's because we trust God just enough to where it makes sense for us. God, I can believe that, that you'll take away this headache, but I have a really difficult time with believing on this really serious disease I have. You see, because I can see the headache thing, but the disease part doesn't make any sense. God wants the best for us. He won't take us someplace that he can't take care of us. He doesn't say, oh, you know what, I, I know I told you to go that way, but that's kind of out of my jurisdiction now. You're on your own. No. If God says, I will take your hand and I will lead you and I will always be there with you, no matter how bad things get, one thing you can depend on, God is still there. Where are we heading in this country? I don't know. How bad are things going to get before they get better? I don't know. Are they going to get better? I don't know. But I do know this, that God knows exactly what's going to happen. And if everything that we know as life as it is today goes away, God will be the same. Jeremiah 29 and 11, one of my favorite scriptures. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Psalm 24.1 says that, that not only is the earth all his, but everything in it is his. And if we really believe that today, if we really believe that the word of God is true and those two scriptures are in there, how could we not trust God? Why would we be afraid? Why would we not step out when God tells us to step out? Because we don't understand. Because our ways are not like his. We pick on on the apostle Peter so much because he just was this, guy that just spoke his mind before he thought. You know, here's this this fisherman that is just riddled with ADD. And before he thinks, he's just doing and saying things that, that just were not called for. And we pick on him. But yet, here were the disciples in a boat, and they look out across the water, and they see Jesus coming, walking on the water. And Jesus tells him to step out of the boat And he does. He's standing up on the boat, and he sees Jesus. Hey, Peter, come out here. Okay. And he starts walking on the water. And we don't give him credit for that. We just want to pick on him because he took his eyes off Jesus and started sinking into the water. Let me ask you, would you have stepped off the boat? And none of the other disciples got off the boat. Peter trusted. He knew that if Jesus said, step off that boat and walk out here, that he could step off the boat and walk out here. What happened is when he got out on the water, walking on the water, he started thinking, people can't walk on water. This doesn't make sense. And when it didn't make sense, guess what? It didn't work. Because he was limited to his thinking. God's ways are not our ways. But you know, the great part of that story is that Jesus didn't just let him sink and drown. He reached down and picked him up. Peter, Peter, Peter. Come here. And yet we say to God, but God, you just don't understand. I've said that. Maybe you've never said that. This was for me. God, you just don't understand. You don't know what's going on here. Wait a minute. Who am I talking to? He knows exactly what's going on right now. He knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. What better person to trust than the person that has all the answers? God had a plan for the people of Judah. If they left Babylon, there was something better that was promised to them. But it it doesn't make sense. Why Why didn't he just leave us in Jerusalem to start with and then he wouldn't have to bring us back? Because there was a lesson to be learned in Babylon that couldn't be learned in Jerusalem. And maybe you're in a place in your life right now that that it doesn't make sense to you. And you say, God, you know, you could have done it this way and I could have avoided all this hardship and all this problem. And, and, you know, if you'd have listened to me. 
But the truth is that there was something that he wanted you to learn. There was a lesson somewhere that he wanted you to learn that when you look back, you go, aha, I see it. Because the problem always looks different from this side versus this side. But see, God saw it from this side when we were still over here. You say, well, why do these things happen? There's things in my life I still don't understand why they happen. There's things that happen, and and at the time I thought they were horrible, and I look back now and they do make sense, but there's still some things that don't make sense. And I have to just realize that God knew what was going on. And I really need to be just okay with it because God really knew what was going on. Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Exactly. When we don't understand, trust Him. When we don't have the answers, trust Him. The one thing that we can't do is lean on our own understanding because I honestly just don't understand a lot. But I do know this. God has a plan for my life. I do know that he wants the best for me. I know that he has plans to prosper me and not to harm me. I know he wants me to have hope for my future because he does. He wants to deliver us from whatever bondage we are in. I don't know what yours is. Maybe you don't have any. For other people that are listening to this through some other means, I don't know what yours is. But I do know this. Regardless of what is binding you up and whatever you're in bondage to, I know a God that is able to deliver you. And I know that because all that I have ever seen and everything that I see in this world today is His. He created it, and I know that He can take care of it. I can't tell you how, but I can assure you that He will. So as we face tough times in in the world today, where do we turn? Do we take and and seek God? Do we make those steps towards Him? Or do we say, God, you just, you messed up this time. I'm going to turn and go the other way. And, And that's our choice. Lean not into your own understanding. I'm not telling you that if you, if you live for God, that you'll never have a problem. If somebody told you that, they lied to you. The people of God all through the Bible went through severe problems. But the answer was, and the great part was, that God was always there. It's easy for us now because we're reading an overview in the short version. They lived the long version. And God was always there. 
I will tell you this. When we live for God, when we give him our life and we say, God, take my life and direct me, we have the promise that he knows about tomorrow and he will be with us every step of the way. I want us to look at something this morning. institutions, the government's just shutting them down altogether. And of course, Wall Street responds with near record losses. But this is not this. Our 401ks, our 403bs have taken hits. Some of us have even experienced the pain and the embarrassment of a home foreclosure. These are extremely difficult and uncertain times. But this is not this. Some of us have jobs that are hanging in the balance, while others of us have actually lost our jobs. And the word securities has left us feeling anything but secure. Jesus put it this way, you can't serve both God and money. You cannot put equal trust in God and money. Because this is not this. It's in moments like this where God is asking us one question. He's asking us this, who are you trusting? Who are we trusting right now in this very moment? Long ago, the prophet said this, some may trust in horses and some may trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of our God. Why? Because this is not this. I'll close with this. Psalm 25, verses 1 through 5. O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, for they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuses. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Would you bow your head? Lord, I'm so glad today that know that I know that you know my life better than I do. Lord, I trust you, and I will seek after you. Lord, each day... I will lift up my soul to you. When I don't understand, Lord, I ask you to just bear with me. Show me your ways. Lord, I know that you have a plan for my life. And I know that plan will be accomplished in your timing. Lord, I ask that you guide me in your truth. Because I know that my only real hope is in you and you alone. Amen. God bless you.